The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, hello there and welcome back in for a championship fight weekend upcoming in San Antonio, Texas. Plus, as Dan Rayfield is saying to me, you got to catch this kid, this lightweight prospect that is on the main event of the Boxer Show uh, in London that'll be on Fight TV in the U.S., Sky Sports in Britain. We got fights to talk about in the U.S., fights to talk about in England. We have a mammoth anniversary coming this weekend as well in terms of the heavyweight championship. All of that to cover. It is the Big Fight Weekend Preview. I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is our insider from his Fight Freaks Unite Substack and BigFightWeekend.com. Hello again, Dan Rayfield. Good to be back with you. Good to be ready to mix it up and talk about some fight previews, a little fight news, and some nostalgia. How are things? Things are good. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's get right to it, my man. Let's uh, let's do it. By the way, you need to be following, rating, reviewing the podcast. We have a winner. We have drawn a name for somebody that rated us, reviewed us, followed the instructions. They screenshotted it, and we drew at random Grayson. Grayson, congratulations on social media. He put the correct tag, the correct post. He's one of several that did that, that rated us and reviewed us in January. Grayson's going to get the... Uh, the really cool memorabilia cups, the Takati cups. You're going to pick a couple of them uh, well, from I, all the I great picked, fights. Uh, Have you picked them? I was them? looking through them. I, I think one might be like I got some from – I'll pick a Pacquiao fight probably. There we go. I have a, a, a nice one uh, from uh, – and this was a hell of a fight too. Triple G versus Danny Jacobs. How's that one? All right. So good. That so was just sort of random. As a I'm Triple G, a Pacquiao collector's fight club from uh, a cup from either the MGM Grand. They had it a couple places, right? Yeah, uh, I got to look. I can't remember. I forget if it was like – it was either it was like either the Marquez three or it might have been the it was there was a few different ones. I will just pick one out, but there was there was a but it, they're cool. Trust me, they're cool. All right, so Grayson, you will be contacted by us. Congrats, you rated us, you reviewed us. We drew you at random as a January winner. We'll do another contest coming up, but this comes out of the Rayfield collection. And again, uh, you're not parting with the like two or three that you actually have. You're parting with a couple of the dozens that Rayfield probably <laughs> has in the Rayfield collection. But these are cool cups. The memorabilia is flowing. And they're show. clean. They're clean. And you cleaned them out yourself and they're all good. It's not like a, you know, stained Pepsi from seven years ago uh, that's in a cup or a beer or uh, whatever. All right. So anyway, we took care of that. Make sure you're following, rating, reviewing Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. All right. So we are ready to go. And it is a championship fight that will headline the Showtime PBC card coming in San Antonio, Texas, Ray Vargas, Oshaki Foster, vacant WBC junior lightweight title. That's the main event. Mario Barrios, former world title challenger, former secondary belt holder, right, in uh, in the junior welterweight division. He's fighting a welterweight co-feature. Uh, and then some heavyweights are also on this card at the beginning of the Showtime uh, broadcast. So, Dan Rayfield, here we go uh, with Vargas moving up in weight. And uh, and fighting for another world title in another weight division. Give me some thoughts as we uh, get ready for this battle to be coming up. Listen, Ray Vargas is 36 and 0. The guy's been around for a long time. He was a world champion of the WBC in the 122 pound weight class. He then uh, had some inactivity, partly pandemic related, partly injury related, partly promoter related. Uh, in any event, he finally was able to make the comeback. Uh, he, he fought uh, at the featherweight division. He became a world title holder in that weight class of the WBC. And now he's bidding to become a three division champion of the WBC also by, by fighting for this vacant title. You know, they, 
they they applied for this at their convention and because he was a reigning champion of the WBC they allowed it the title was vacant as you mentioned because Shakur Stevenson had failed to make weight for uh, the title defense last fall against uh, Robinson Kotsasau and Oshaki Foster was the mandatory already he had won the uh, number you know the eliminator for number 1 so they make this match and uh look Ray Vargas if you're if you're a boxing fan the, the Mexican fighters have a have a prototypical way of fighting I mean, it's not fair to stereotype every single Mexican or any nationality, but mm -hmm. by and large, Mexican boxers are known for a more or less straight ahead brawling style. I mean, Eric Morales, you know, fighters like that. I mean, but there are exceptions. I mean, Canelo is not like that. He's a counterpuncher. Marquez was a counterpuncher. But the bottom line is they're known for action. That's not really Ray Vargas's game. He doesn't fight like that. He's not been the most exciting fighter in the world, but he's been really good. He's usually much taller than his opponent. He's much longer oftentimes than his opponent. And he can he can punch a little bit. He can get into a little bit of a rumble if necessary. And so he's getting this opportunity to uh, to do his thing in the Showtime main event. And in Oshaki Foster, he's fighting a guy that doesn't have nearly the kind of record that he has. Foster has a couple of losses already. But uh, he's a talented fighter. He's 19-2. and two, And he's uh, he's a good boxer. I mean, he you know, he's... I can't say he's truly earned the fight because he doesn't have like a huge resume, but he's got some solid wins. Uh, you know, he went overseas to Dubai uh, in the uh, early part of 2022, and he, he won an official eliminator going on the road like that. And he's coming off of a long layoff. It's going to be 11 months since his last fight. He was in a in a, a squabble with Lou DiBella, who was his former promoter. There was lawsuits threatened and filed, et cetera. And uh, they ended up making a deal. So he parted ways with them. He signed up with ProBellum in any event. He's finally back in the ring to challenge for this title. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really quite sure to wake, what to make of this fight, TJ, because I could see it being an old stinkeroo. I've seen plenty of bad <laughs> Ray Vargas fights. I've seen some bad Oshaki Foster fights. But with what's at stake, with the fact it's the main event, uh, you know, Ray Vargas is a, is a Mexican and they're fighting in San Antonio. You got to figure there'll be Mexican fans there rooting for him. But Oshaki Foster is also a Texan. He's from the Houston area, so he should hopefully, for his sake, have some fans there also. So I hope that that makes it uh, the, the atmosphere, the the main event status, the stakes because of the world title, that it that it maybe lights a fire under these guys and we see a little better fight than I have been anticipating. Uh, Ray Vargas is one of these guys where, again, you might see a very good quality boxing match or you might see something you want to gouge your eyes out with. I mean, I'm just being being real. Sure. Uh, I don't know how this is going to go, obviously. But, uh, you know, when, when the fight was announced, I mean, I knew it was going to happen because it's a main, you know, it's a, a, a mandatory fight. Uh, but I, I'd be less than honest if I said I was like super excited for this particular fight. I'm not. But, you know, it's meaningful. I'm, I'm going to watch it, obviously. But, you know, let them prove to me that it's worth my time, I guess, is the point. And, and the point on Vargas on uh, you, you're kind of alluding to you're not sure what you're going to get. I can tell you what you more than likely aren't going to get. You're not going to get a knockout because he doesn't have a knockout in any fight, a world title fight any kind of a fight until going back to 2016, six years. His last, uh, what, one, two, three, four, five fights, six fights have all been decisions leading into this one. And you mentioned there's been some inactivity in there too. So more than likely a distance fight. Again, familiarize us a little more with Foster. I'd be curious. You mentioned 19 and two. I kind of throw around the word unheralded a lot of times. He, he's a fighter out of Texas. Uh, as you mentioned, promoter trouble. Um, what else here? It, it, you know, has it been I mean, that active? What else? What else should we know? His, his main thing is, uh, he's the kind of guy where if you're going to get a world title fight, 
for somebody like Oshaki Foster, it's imperative that your people are able to maneuver you into a mandatory position because no one's just going to fight him just because generally at that high level, because he's a tough out because he can box and he's got some tenacity to him. He's got a little bit of, of a, of a dog in him, as they say, you know, he's not going to come there and lay down. I've seen him fight a number of times, not a huge puncher. He's running out about a 50%, a little higher than 50% on the knockout ratio. But again, a good boxer and uh, doesn't bring a big name, doesn't bring a lot of money, doesn't bring a big fan base. So the, the risk reward analysis is not great. So for him to get this opportunity, it was really incumbent on his people to get him to the point uh, to help him become a mandatory, you know, which frankly Lou DiBella did as his promoter, uh, you know, technically, Lou is not promoting this fight because they made a deal and he's with Probellum, but Lou DiBella is the guy that got him, you know, into that position. He ended up having uh, the eliminator that was with Probellum, but he had paved the way, I guess. But people might be familiar with him because he did appear on Showbox. So it's it's yet again the the great Showbox prospect-oriented mm-hmm. series doing its job of of letting the public see some of the up-and-coming fighters and then if they if they keep on doing their job and winning their fights, they get moved up into the main you know into the main show Showtime Championship boxing. Also, as far as uh, Oshaki Foster goes, he's like I said, he's got a couple of losses, but they're from a few years ago. He lost a fight, and again by decision in eight rounders, lost a fight uh, in 2015, lost another one in 2016, had a couple wins in between. But ever since 2016, he hasn't lost a fight, and he again he hasn't fought big names, but he has like. You know, Mickey Roman, who's like a, a journeyman kind of guy, but fought for a world title, been a tough out for a lot of guys, been in the ring with everybody, beat him, uh, you know, has the win over uh, Jesus Bravo, solid win for him. They did that fight in like Nicaragua. Uh, you know, John Fernandez, who was once a, a tremendous prospect uh, from Spain, who was undefeated when he fought him, he got a win over him. Uh, so, you know, not the biggest names, but he's a solid guy. And Ray Vargas, uh, I think probably will have his hands full with this guy just based on the talent level and the skills that he possesses. All right. Undercard, co-feature bout Mario Barrios, who's most famous, as you mentioned, for having uh, battled with Gervonta Davis a couple of years ago. Uh, Davis moved up in weight, fought him. Uh, he was tough in that fight before Davis eventually stopped him. And then Barrios was also the opponent, the opponent for Keith Thurman. Oh, a Keith Thurman sighting. I love <laughs> Keith from my area, but Keith hadn't fought very much. And the one fight he's had in the last three and a half years was against Bar- uh, Barrios. It was not a tremendous fight. All right, so now Barrios in this co-feature. And interesting on the opponent, uh, Brother Rayfield here, on Giovanni Santiago. Fans will remember that name because he fought uh, Adrian Broner recently. And a lot of people thought maybe should have gotten his hand raised in that fight. So this is the co-feature. Ten-rounder. Give me a little more on this one. Showtime, Saturday night, San Antonio. I mean, Mario Barrios has been a pretty good boxer, but in my mind, he's never really separated himself from the pack. He gets a lot more publicity than he deserves, in my opinion, frankly, from and which means his team's doing a good job for him. I'll, I'll give them that shout out. Uh, when he has stepped up, like you said, he got he got he put a competitive effort in against Gervonta Davis, but took a, a pretty rough knockout in the 11th round. That was when uh, Tank went from 135, challenged Barrios for the secondary WBA title he had at 140 cleaned his clock in the uh in the 11th round and uh in his return from that loss he moved up that was in 2021 he moved up uh you know what eight or ten months later and uh, i think eight months later and that's when he went to welterweight and fought keith thurman uh and lost a pretty lopsided decision in the welterweight division so he's lost two in a row so he's in a tough spot right now he really kind of needs the win now he's on this card largely at least in terms of uh, the television part of it anyway because he's from san antonio and he does that's have right a bit of fan base so the combination of the 
you know, uh, the Ray Vargas uh, Foster, both, you know, Mexican versus a guy from Houston should have some interest in the local region. But you have Mario Barrios as the local guy who does have a little bit of a hometown following. Remember when he fought Gervonta Davis, uh, you know, that fight, it didn't go to his hometown. They fought that fight in Atlanta. But I'm pretty sure if they fought that fight in San Antonio, the combination of Barrios and Tank with his fan base, they would have drawn a big crowd there also. So Barrios does have, you know, a little bit of a fan base. But, you know, when I was there, when he when he fought for the 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 second tier belt against Batir Akhmadov in uh, the Staples Center, I believe that was, if my memory is correct, that was on the undercard of when Sean Porter and, and uh, Errol Spence had their welterweight unification fight. Now, they gave Barrios uh, the unanimous decision, but there was a lot of us, myself included, that thought that was a terrible decision, that, that Akhmadov, you know, got a pretty bad decision that night and that he clearly was the winner. Even though he did get knocked down twice, that's how far of a lead he had in my mind. So, you know, Barrios has never really lit the world on fire as far as I can tell. He, he's, he's, uh, he's never really lived up to the, to the hype that he's gotten. And that's my opinion. I'm not knocking him as a person. Mm -hmm. he's, he's a nice guy and all. And in terms of Santiago, you mentioned he had the fight in 2021 against Adrian Broner. That was uh, a fight that a lot of people thought that he won Broner. Uh, you know, they, they kept switching the weight around. Broner was coming off a long layoff and, you know, did not look good at all. And, and I thought Santiago won that fight. And that loss, because it was considered a quote-unquote good loss, it actually helped him get another fight because in the next fight he fought Gary Antoine Russell, who's one of the best up-and-coming fighters in the 140-pound weight class, but he got stopped in the sixth round and just got wiped out. I mean, he lost every single round, and then Gary Antoine Russell just pulverized him. So he's lost two fights in a row also. So this is sort of like a loser-goes-home fight in a sense because you've got two guys who are fighting uh, as well, you know, 140, 147. This is a welterweight fight. They're both coming off two losses in a row. Barrios obviously has the losses against the bigger name opposition in Tank Davis and uh, and Keith Thurman. But the losses that that uh, Giovanni Santiago took are against name guys also. And Broner and Gary Antoine Russell is one of the top young you know young fighters out there. The younger brother of the former featherweight champion Gary Russell Jr. So both these guys, if if you want to use a cliche, TJ, and I know you love cliches. They got their backs against the wall, big oh. time. You know, you, at the highest level of boxing, it's unfair. Fair enough, but you can't usually take three losses in a row, and 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 you can and continue your career, but at a different level of pay and at a different level of exposure. A third loss in a row, you're probably not back in a Showtime co-feature. Is the point? So they need to win, and I hope that that lights a fire under them, similar to what I mentioned about the main event and they understand how significant and important this match is to their careers, and they go in there and let it all hang out, and we get a good fight out of it. And, you know, kudos to the winner, because the winner gets to put those defeats behind them and move on to, hopefully, for their sake, something bigger and better. Should be full motivation, as you mentioned, because if you lose, and it's a third loss in a row, you stop probably being a television fighter. You certainly are only the B-side on somebody else, if that's the point. So uh, we'll find out Particularly, on that. Particularly, TJ, because you're not a star. Right. You know, if, if you're a star fighter, uh, you know, you can still be in main events or on, on uh, a quote unquote a sides. But when you're not yet at and Santiago certainly is not Barrios, you know, would be a little higher on the food chain, let's say, in that sense, than than uh, Santiago is. But like you said, you're you're probably out of commission in terms of those level fights for a while. Uh, heavyweights are also on this card. And uh, this is interesting. They will lead off the broadcast. Correct. On Showtime, yes, Pero and Faust as heavyweights give us the breakdown here because there is some intrigue uh in particular Pero is the cuban heavyweight 
We, uh, I, I need to be educated more on both of these guys. Are we looking at fireworks pot- potentially in the leadoff fight Saturday night? I, th- I think it's quite possible. And, and I say that mainly based on, uh, on Faust because he had, and if anybody bought the pay-per-view from January 1st on New Year's Day, if you remember on Fox pay-per-view, PBC did a, a all heavyweight uh, event that was on New Year's Day of 2022. And in, uh, I believe it was the opening fight of that pay-per-view, you had Faust, who was considered a prospect by many, the older fighter, he's already 30 years old, but he got a late start of his pro career. He's only at that point had about nine or 10 fights. He's now 11 and 0. In any event, on that New Year's Day fight, he fought a, a, a real grizzled veteran journeyman, but who always isn't a good scrap, no matter whether he wins by knockout or loses by knockout, by the name of Ayago Kaladze. And even though the fight was only two rounds, uh, it got stopped, but, but Kaladze and Faust just went to battle. I remember at the Midway point of 2022, I did a piece for my Substack newsletter, Fight Freaks Unite, in which I ranked sort of the best fights of the first half of the year. And that was on that list as only a two round fight. They went to absolute, uh, just complete battle. They were multiple knockdowns from both guys that got stopped in the second round. So, but the point is, Faust, and if you've seen any other of his fights, also, he's been in some, you know, uh, some scraps, as they say. And, uh, I don't know if he's got the skills of a of a of a of a Lenier Perro, who was a top level uh, Cuban Olympian. He's a little bit older as a young fighter in terms of his pro career. He's thirty years old, but he's a Cuban southpaw. And he's a heavyweight, so you know it's uh, not unusual for them to get a little bit of a later start. And he's progressing. He's eight and zero with five knockouts. He's obviously a skillful fighter if you've ever seen him. His his quote unquote claim to fame was uh, again last January on New Year's Day on that same show. He had a fight against his Cuban countryman who was much younger, uh, Giovanni Bruzan, who was also a Cuban heavyweight. They were both undefeated. Most people were sort of like, wow, I can't believe they're making this match between two guys that potentially have a good future this early in their careers. And uh, Perro was able to come out on top by an uh, eight-round decision, and he's won uh, you know, two fights since then, and he's making his way up the ladder. And I have to say, other than the Bruzon fight, taking on Faust is definitely the biggest step up for him compared to what he's faced so far. So, again, in this time, you need to establish new possible contenders in the heavyweight division. Guys like Tyson Fury and Usyk and Joshua and Wilder and Ruiz and all the top heavyweights that we can name, uh, Joe Joyce, whoever, they're all getting older. None of those guys I just mentioned, to my recollection, none of them are in their 20s. They're all in their 30s. Now, granted, Peril, like I said, is already 30 years old. But in terms of his pro experience, he seems like he might have, uh, you know, several good years ahead of him. So this is, for better or worse, the winner of this fight is going to emerge, in my mind, as at least one of a group of other heavyweights that are like behind that group in terms of who can maybe get to the level where they're in a world title fight. I suspect it's peril based on the background and what I've seen so far, but you never know. And in the meantime, hopefully we get a nice, good quality heavyweight scrap out of it. We like all of that. All right, so that's the Showtime PBC card. Again, we'll make some predictions with the odds, et cetera, on the BetUS boxing show seen live Fridays, 1 Eastern time on the BetUS platforms, uh, their YouTube, their social media. So we're anxious to go over that uh, on Friday, depending on when you're hearing us on the release of the podcast. And again, uh, we make mention we'll come off the weekend with a recap podcast as well. We always go into the weekend with a preview. We've been very diligent with this. We've seen the audience growing. We know you folks love the routine of the preview is there. Uh, overnight Thursday into Friday, and then the recap is there overnight Sunday into Monday. At some point, you get you can't get enough Rayfield breaking it down. That's what the bottom line is. Take enough TJ, uh, man. 
I don't know about that. Uh, okay, and I may have said earlier, so now let's get to this fight that's in England, and I may have said uh, lightweight. It is actually welterweight, right? Junior welterweight. Junior, it's right in the middle. Junior welterweight. Uh, tell me about Azim, who you love as a prospect, Adam Azim. This fight with Santos Reyes is not a title fight, but he's headlining on the boxer card. Tell me more about him. You've been following him. You've got him ranked up on your prospect list, correct? And he's headlining Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, Saturday night in London. Listen, he's just a very exciting prospect, dynamic punching power, good personality, already developing a fan following uh, he is only 7-0 and with six knockouts. It'll be the second time that he's going to headline a, a uh, boxer card. He had his first headline event that took place this past November uh, against an opponent that, you know, I think everybody kind of figured would give him a few rounds, but he blitzed him in two rounds. Now he's taking on the undefeated Santos Reyes, who is 12-0. and uh, Not that he's got a big um, background or big rep reputation or big resume. He's only got three knockouts. Comes from Nicaragua. But they're building what they think is a future star, at least in terms of the British market. But if you can be electrifying and exciting, that can translate no matter what the market is. And uh, like I said, I've watched him uh, since the beginning, his professional debut, which is the only time he went the distance. This tells you the confidence that the team had in him. Uh, he wasn't with Boxer at that time, but he turned pro in a six rounder uh, and he went the route that was the only time he's been the distance uh, amazingly that is on an undercard of a fight that's still on espn plus in their archive and i, I had watched it back in the day uh so he's just a very entertaining skillful fighter got speed and power and skills can box but likes to fight my and anybody that has followed my writing or my commentary or anything for any length of time knows my favorite kind of fighter i mean my favorite fighter is arturo Gotti, who's a straight brawler but besides that, I love the guys who are really talented, skillful boxers, but have a penchant and a desire and a something inside them. That they, they can do that, but they also like to stand and fight, which is why for so many years I was a fan of Oscar De La Hoya, mm -hmm. who could box with anybody but love to fight. Shane Mosley, Meldrick Taylor, fighters like that, that really, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard could box your ears off, but could stand and fight if necessary yes. and get in there and bang away. Just ask Tommy Hearns. So those are my favorite kinds of fighters, guys that can, that like to, that can, that are great boxers, but like to fight. And while I'm not going to tell you that Adam Azim is going to become the guys I just mentioned, that type of style that is what reminds me of those guys. Adam Azim likes to fight, but he's very capable of boxing also. And so that's one of the things that attracted me to him. He's got a, like I said, a good personality. Anyway, He's not fighting a huge name opponent or anything like that. But to me, I'm enjoying the ride. I'm watching him uh, fight by fight. I will follow him. We'll see where it goes. Uh, uh, Sky Sports in the UK, uh, and they have a long track record in their boxing coverage over the decades of helping, uh, similar to what HBO did in America, to help build uh, you know, younger fighters into superstar uh, top guys. And they're doing that with Adam Azim. He signed a longer-term contract with a boxer not that long ago. And uh, they're off to the races, and I expect to see him in the ring, I would think, probably at least four times this year. And, uh, you know, he's getting a quick start in February. Maybe, hopefully, if, if things go right, maybe even five. But I would say four seems quite reasonable, uh, you know, barring injuries or things like that. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And, again, in the United States, you know, if you're so interested, it's like a $10 uh, pay-per-view. I'm going to definitely watch it. And uh, in, in the U.K., it's just part of your regular Sky Sports uh, Saturday night uh, fight cards that they put on. Interesting. All right. Adam Azim. Watch that name. 
That is Saturday afternoon, so we've given you some good fight previews. And again, we'll be talking more in the uh, gambling short-term investment mode about that fight on the BetUS show coming Friday at 1 Eastern time about what kind of prop uh, money you would have on a zine, maybe to get a knockout, uh, et cetera, over-under on the fight. Raphael has been cleaning up on the over-under props uh, throughout oh, hold the on, hold duration. On. I'm yeah. not just cleaning up on the over-under. I was yeah. 8 no last week. That means you're you're cleaning uh, up on would, who wins, you're cleaning I, up I, on how they win. And all, they I gotta, win. all I got to say is you were the handicapper of the week on BetUS. I, I'm so, not sure if in the Raphael collection you're going to frame that, but I saw that on social media <laughs> that you went 8 for 8 on the boxing picks. Uh, well done. But I'm really 12 for 12 in my last 12 because I was 4-0 the previous week. Uh, so you're rolling. Now you now there's an expectation. But see, you start doing that, and then people are going to get mad at you if you screw one of these up. So just, well, you know, hold on. I'm I mean, my track advisor. record, if you go back to last, I know. whatever, April, when we started the show, or May, whenever it was, I'm like about 40, 40 picks over 500. So that's not a, that's not a, a once, once occasionally thing. That's a trend in a big way, if you ask me. It's a big trend. I, I agree with you on that. All right, let's get to some news. I hesitate to even phrase it this way, but here we go. Uh, you have been back channel communicating. Is the Ryan Garcia Tank Davis fight really in jeopardy because of everything we're seeing on social media about angst over the rematch clause and how that would work? Is this overblown? We're two months away, basically, from when this fight is supposed to happen, yet we don't have an official agreement. They haven't had a press conference together. Rayfield, give me the latest. Is this fight in jeopardy? And and Tank goes on trial next week also <laughs> for the uh, the cases against okay. him in Baltimore. Let's separate with the, uh... the two things, first of all. First of all, the first thing, is the fight yes. potentially in jeopardy because of the rematch stuff, or is that overhyped? Before we ever get to the trial, is that overhyped? No, it's not overhyped. And the reason is because, uh, it, it, you know, listen, everybody has their side of the story, and everybody wants to put forth their, their uh, spin on things. But to the best of my rec my uh, understanding, having been in communication with both sides of the equation, they have agreed literally on every single point there is. Everything. Soup to nuts. And that's from the biggest stuff, like how you're splitting up the money, to the bullshit, like who's coming in the ring first and all that, that nonsense. But the one thing that is an open issue that there is, I wouldn't even call it just a disagreement. I would call it an impasse, is the terms of a rematch clause. Now, I don't think there should even be a rematch clause. It's not even a world title fight for that matter, mm -hmm. but whatever. I accept the modern way of doing boxing that for whatever reason, there has to be a rematch clause, uh, whatever. But the bottom line is it's a one-way rematch clause in favor of Gervonta Davis. So if he is the winner, that's that. If Ryan Garcia is the winner, Tank Davis has the option to exercise a rematch clause. Now that's fine. I don't even have a problem with that. The, where the where the issue and I don't and Golden Boy in the Ryan Garcia camp, from my understanding, don't object to that. Where the objection comes in is that the way that the paperwork is reading that they are objecting to is that in the event of a rematch being exercised by Gervonta Davis, that the Gervonta Davis Showtime PBC side still gets to be the promoter of the event, still gets to call the shots, still gets to do all the things that go into it, whether it's, you know, get the money on the sponsors, control the gate, where the fight's going to be, what's on the undercard, all that stuff. And Golden Boy, uh, their belief, and, and Ryan probably believes it, but I know is willing to do it under any circumstances. That's how much he wants the fight. But Golden Boy's perspective is, and for them, this is business also, they're like, look, we gave in on everything. We're like, okay, fine, you get to do the fight. DAZN, our broadcast partner, is not involved. You guys 
are going to be involved with Showtime. They're going to handle all the production, et cetera. But if our guy wins, it's only fair that we get to control the rematch from the standpoint of our undercard, our broadcaster, our calling the shots and all that. And the sides are dug in and we'll see if it plays out. Now, Ryan Garcia, I think behind the scenes is kind of in a war with his own team, you know, at Golden Boy, because he just wants to fight. He doesn't really care where the fights broadcast. And frankly, a lot of people would have the opinion that because of what Showtime brings to bear in the marketplace, it should be on Showtime. Again, that's not necessarily my opinion. I'm telling you what, what I hear from different people, because Showtime has the ability and has shown it over a long track record of being involved in like literally the biggest selling pay-per-views in the history of boxing. You know, just pick any number of uh, whether it's Mayweather or they've done Canelo or Chavez or Tyson or and we can go chapter and verse on the big events that Showtime has been involved with. And DAZN, it's no knock on them, but they don't have that track record. They've existed since 2018. They've done like only, you know, the first few years was no pay-per-view. So in their existence of using pay-per-view, they've done like just a few and they haven't been humongous events. I mean, they've done some Canelo fights, but they didn't achieve humongous numbers in the United States. Uh, And so if you're maximizing revenue on a rematch, it should still, they say it still should be with Showtime. Golden Boy obviously has a huge problem with that. They say we've given everything. We're taking less money. We've done everything possible. We're not giving in on this. And, uh, they they're trying okay. to protect their broadcaster. Which Let me is jump own, in. Which hold me... on, which has invested millions of dollars. Uh, I got you. into tank into Ryan Garcia. So to me, two quick things that just come to mind. Ryan Garcia has even put this on social media. I don't care about the rematch. I realize that De La Hoya and company do have a business interest and they would care. So it's got to be one of two things. Either one, don't get hung up over the rematch, or two, you just deadline Showtime. And you basically say, and and Showtime's the one apparently standing in the way of it, and we I, I, we deal with these with both of these entities, et cetera. But you deadline. I, told Showtime. Them, I can't say it's just Showtime; it's also PBC. Both, they're hand in hand. You deadline them and say either you agree that what's fair is fair. If we win, it's going on to zone. We'll control the production, and you can pay charge a pay per view on Showtime the same way. Or if you don't want to agree to that, we'll move on and we'll fight somebody else. And you deadline. E- and let's easier move said on than done because. There's at the amount of point, money in the though. fight. It's like it's like a game of chicken. There, listen. Here's the bottom line: there's no bigger fight right now for Ryan Garcia than the Tank Davis fight in terms of any metric you, ma- you measure. I would agree with that. And and by the way, the same goes for Tank Davis. Go if Tank Davis is not fighting Ryan Garcia yes. in April, and they pick some other uh, some other so, opponent, it's not the same. So therefore, if you're Ryan Garcia, bet on yourself. I don't care about a rematch clause. There doesn't need to be a rematch clause. Let's have the fight, and then. If the Davis side and PBC won't have the fight because of the rematch clause, throw your hands up, go public, put stink on them, and say we the, we're the ones that want to fight, and these guys are just messing around. These my guys my are point around. is simple. That and again, it's uh, I'm not. I, I understand both sides where they're coming from. I get where Showtime and PBC are coming from. They're like, look, we've got the track record. We're the big daddy between us and DAZN. And I understand the irritation of Golden Boy and DAZN. So I understand both sides of the equation. If I was in charge, my response and my final, if they brought it to me and I'm the judge and the jury and I get to decide, I'd say, listen, I love you guys both. Good luck in the fight April 15th. No rematch clause allowed. Thank that you. If we do a rematch, it should be organic. In other words, it was a great fight in the fans and the public and the press and everybody wants to see it so desperately we can make the deal again. But it should not be mandated 
in a non-title situation where, yes, Davis is the bigger guy in terms of his star power. He's definitely the A side. I get that. But Ryan Garcia is like the A minus side, if you will. It's not like it's a disparity when when Oscar De La Hoya is fighting a Ricardo Mayorga or or any or Bernard Hopkins, right. where it's a clear A side. Or, by or, a the, lot, how about by this? A or the litany of recent fighters of Gervonta Davis, where he's clearly been the A-side over the guy that he's fighting. The last three or four pay-per-views have been that way. I just have this image in my head now of Rayfield in a row behind the bench with a gavel, like Judge Mills Lane, the late Mills Lane, like Judge Judy, Judge Joe Brown, Judge Dan Rayfield. I can't get past, if you're Judge, Listen, if you're in the judge immortal Rayfield, words, I can't get past that right now. In the immortal words of Judge Judy, if that was me, I'd be like, hey, I'm the boss, applesauce. <laughs> <laughs> a judge judy quote makes the show all right please please let's just get this done get it worked out we'll see uh other news um give me some more here on uh on news of this week uh i'm interested in a couple of different things uh how about triple g we wrote about this on the site it has now uh, come to pass where he basically got deadlined if i have it correctly where the ibfs want an answer the WBA's want an answer. Who are you fighting next, Triple G, since his September fight with uh, with Canelo Alvarez to keep his middleweight championships? So, Dan, fill in the blanks. What has he decided to do? The, the important thing, at least in the short term, is that he wants to still fight, but he apparently did not want to fight who the IBF wanted him to fight. That's what it comes down to. No, yes? no, you're not, not entirely right about that. So he lost the fight to Canelo at super middleweight. He said right after that fight he's coming back to middleweight where he was the unified title holder of the IBF and the WBA. He had won the IBF vacant title. He had gone to Japan and knocked out Murata to become the unified title holder. <clears throat> then he fought Canelo. And so afterwards, he was coming back to middleweight where he had mandatory defenses to do. So the IBF mandatory is the undefeated uh, Esquiva Falco, the former uh, Olympic uh, silver medal winner from Brazil, who's 30-0 with top rank, had won an official IBF elimination fight last year, uh, I believe on the Sean Porter undercard against uh, Terrence Crawford. In any event, that deadline for them to have a deal was coming up at the end of next week. And so Golovkin, rather than as his lawyer, uh, John Hornauer, who I quoted in my story, who I had spoken to, talked about like Gennady understood that there was an unlikelihood that this fight was going to happen. He didn't want to hold everybody up. He didn't want to drag it out to the last bitter moment. So he's like, look, the fight's not happening. Let's just vacate the title. Let them get on with their business. It is not a matter that Golovkin was not interested or unwilling to fight Esquiva Falco. The problem was that Gerv uh, uh, Triple G is a broadcast free agent. His contract with the zone is up. He is a promotional free agent. His own company can handle his business. And so he needed a place to put the fight. He doesn't have a broadcast deal. And so different, uh, they were, they made contact with different outlets to, and, and promoters to talk about if they were interested to do the fight. So again, as John said to me, the lawyer, they spoke to top rank, for example, who was the promoter for, uh, Falcao. Would you be interested in doing something and having the fight on ESPN? And I just, uh, way I understood it was that Top Rank really didn't have a uh, a desire to, to to put that fight on at least at the price point that they thought it would cost because of what Triple G commands. Top, top Rank has promoted him before. There's a relationship before from way back, right? With who? So that with Triple G, correct? They've back never promoted. Script, I thought no. they had promoted maybe a couple of his no. fights. No, they never promoted him. Top Rank. Triple G has never promoted. Okay. To my so they were just inquiring with them. Top Rank didn't want to do it. No, they couldn't find a dance. Top Rank had conversations about signing yeah. Triple G before he did the deal with the zone and triple G ended up not doing that deal. They thought actually they thought they had a deal and, and he changed his mind. However, I'm not going right. to characterize it. I'm just going to say they met with the high ups at, uh, at the company 
uh, both at ESPN and at top rank. And, and there was an outline of an agreement. They never signed paperwork and Golovkin ended up walking out on that deal, but that does nothing. That's got nothing to do with this. They're the promoter of Falco and they've got the, the TV deal with ESPN. So they were contacted. They were not interested. And as it was explained to me, they had a number of different places, outlets, people, whatever, come to them and say, yeah, we'd be interested to do a triple G fight. Would you fight this guy, Chris Eubank jr? Would you fight that guy, for example? And they, and they, they were interested to do business with Golovkin, just not the the Esquiva Falco fight, which, you know, frankly, is just not the most attractive fight in the world. So not a knock on Falco, but it's not. Does it get your blood running hot? Oh, Golovkin uh, <laughs> against Falco. I got to see that. The answer is no. Now, he said, I understand. So fair enough. We're going to just vacate the IBF title because I know that's hard for fighters to do. They work hard for these belts. Golovkin's been a guy that has respected the organizations. He's uh, he likes having the belts, whatever. Now, as soon as the IBF title was vacated, now, because they were first up in the rotation, that means the WBA is next. They've been trying to whittle down their multiple, you know, their division with multiple champions for a while. So now that the IBF is vacant, they went ahead and did, uh, they were now, the rotation system is no longer in effect because there's only one title holder. Uh, he only has the one belt. Mm -hmm. They ordered on the same day, like within a couple of hours after he vacated the IBF, they sent a letter, which I got a copy of, from uh, the WBA to uh, John Hornauer, who is the, the lawyer for Triple G, as well as to Tom Brown, who represents Arislandi Lara uh, the, as a promoter, ordering that fight. Lara is the regular champion, and obviously uh, Triple G is the super champion. So now they're on the clock. They have to decide there. And as the, the lawyer said to me, which the conversation took place before the letter went out, if the same thing may happen if they order the Lara fight. So if they can't find a buyer for uh, Lara or some broadcast entity that's interested at a reasonable price point that Golovkin is uh, can live with, I guess there's a probably a decent chance he'll vacate that title too. And he can go and fight whoever, because it's not with Golovkin. It's not really about the belts. It's about triple G, the legendary middleweight, you know, uh, top hall of fame champion. All right. Now clarify for me, Laura is still a PBC fighter. He's fought yes. with them before. So that would be the logical place to go. Unless am I even going to bring this name up? Don't make a face at me. I'm going to bring this name up. Are we going to come back around to maybe Jermall Charlo gets in the ring as the WBC champion, and maybe PBC wants to make that fight with Golovkin, so vacate the WBA belt, let Laura have the mandatory for the title. Now I'm playing like amateur matchmaker. I can't believe am I Am I the one actually suggesting that Jermall Charlo might be in the ring in 2023? Well, here's a couple things about that. Right, Number one, I'm extraordinarily doubtful that when, he, when Charlo comes back, whenever that may be, that after his very long layoff, mm -hmm. he's going to jump in the ring with Triple G. That's Makes number sense. one. Makes sense. Number two, if Golovkin vacates the WBA title because they don't want to make the Lara fight, he may listen to them if they were to have an offer about a Charlo fight, but now he's not got any titles. He can go and talk about whatever, the Chris Eubank fight or whatever other stuff that's being pitched to him. There would be no... Um, there'd be no guarantee that he would stick with them to do the realistically fight. So, realistically what do you think happens because Golovkin's now what 39 did he turn 39 he's yet he's 40 now he's 40 how many fights does he have left especially at the highest level does he have not many two, not not many two maybe three so Listen, I'm never you, gonna, I mean, I watched think? Bernard Hopkins fight effectively into his 50 so I'm not putting a number on it all right but here's but, the bottom line but here's who do you think line. he fights what do you think he's gonna do I have no idea I really don't know I know that he wants to still be champion and if they can find interest in the Lara fight, the same way if they could have found interest in the Falco fight, he will fight Lara or he will fight or he would have fought Falco. The question is going to be is, and, and when you're talking about Lara, like you said, that means PBC. 
So what that means is, is Showtime interested in doing a Golovkin fight with Lara? Whether they would look to do it as a regular Showtime fight, would they try to make that into a pay-per-view? I think that would be a very hard sell, but they're going to have to have that conversation. And if push comes to shove and there's nobody that's willing to do the match, then there's probably a reasonable chance that he vacates. Now, besides a promoter, you know, they talk to people like in Kazakhstan about, you know, the government or some company maybe financing him to go home. They, they, they explored a lot of different options and had some conversations and nothing really quite came through. I'm not so sure why it would be a lot different in terms of a Lara fight. Lara's a better known quantity. He's a, was a top amateur. He's been a, a recognized champion in, in 154 weight class for a long time. Obviously, his title at 160 is obviously, uh, you know, not a big deal being that it's secondary and all that. Uh, and he's sort of near the end of his career also. I actually personally think that if you put Triple G in the ring with Lara at this stage of their careers, that would be a fun fight, in my opinion, for however long it lasts. But again, are you willing, if you're a, a promoter or a network, to spend a lot of money. You're not getting Triple G in the ring for like a million dollars. It's going to be a significant investment of resources to put that on. Now, I happen to think that if you are Showtime and you can go to the marketplace and say, welcome Triple G for his Showtime debut, that'll get a lot of attention. That'll get a lot of publicity. Uh, and maybe it's worth their investment. I, I can't answer that. That's up to people like Steve Espinosa to make that, uh, make that call. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. I'm not making any predictions on who he fights. I could see him walking away from the title and taking some lucrative overseas option. I could see him trying to make a Lara fight. I really don't know the answer. He's got a, a few weeks to figure it out. All right. Good enough. Final few moments of news. And then we got to talk nostalgia. We got to talk Tyson Douglas anniversary coming. So Anthony Joshua met with the media. They made it official, uh, that Jermaine Franklin is his opponent. They announced that earlier in the week. Press conference in London Thursday. Derek James is the new promoter. You were reporting that. New trainer. Uh, new trainer, excuse me. He was sitting there with Eddie Hearn, the promoter, at the Matchroom Show, talking about being with uh, Anthony Joshua. They revealed Anthony Joshua trained with him some in Texas. This is the same trainer as Errol Spence and Jermel Charlo. Uh, so uh, all of that was rolled out. At the same time, Matchroom also rolled out their fight schedule of upcoming fights as well. So, Dan, take me through that really quick, and then we're going to get on to Douglas Tyson and reminiscing. Well, I mean, as far as Jermaine Franklin goes, that was the rumored opponent for quite a while. Uh, there was a few names that came up, but he was always sort of the guy <clears throat> they were that they were talking to that they liked. Uh, I've heard a lot of complaints because he's coming off an official loss against Dillian White, a majority decision. There are so many people that thought he won that fight, and the fact that he got the fight with Joshua tells you that they think he won the fight. Uh, it was a hell of a fight. Uh, I don't know why anybody would complain about this match. Anthony Joshua is coming off his own uh, problems with two losses in a row. And if you take a look at Anthony Joshua's record, every single fight he's had since 2016, you know, it's like a dozen fights or so, have been world title fights. So for him to take a step back a little bit and fight a Jermaine Franklin in a place like the O2 Arena, instead of a big mega stadium or some huge pay-per-view, I don't have any problem with this. You know, the fight, Anthony Joshua's fights in the United States have been on regular zone. In the UK, obviously, they've been pay-per-views on Sky Sports. This is the first fight of his contract exclusively with the zone meaning besides just in america it's in in the uk and around the rest of the world also on the zone so they're very happy to bring on, on a big name star like anthony joshua to their subscribers and it's not a a pay-per-view it's the first time he hasn't been on pay-per-view in a long time and he's fighting a reputable credible opponent again is it the biggest fight in the world no but people get so fucking hung up on the next fight and they mm -hmm. can't take a step back and see the forest through the trees as they say 
And so he's got to take care of his business. The guy lost two in a row. We were talking about, you know, guys losing three in a row, how it puts him in a real bad spot. Uh, and this is, you know, he's going with a new trainer for the, now the, you know, 30 trainers in three fights. He was yep. obviously with, uh, uh, Robert Garcia for the last fight when he lost in the rematch against Usyk. Although to Robert Garcia's credit, in my opinion, he fought way better against Usyk in the second fight than he did in the, the first fight. That was when he was still with his longtime trainer, Robert McCracken. All three of them, by the way, are quality trainers, the McCracken, Garcia, and, uh, Derek James. So, Instead of getting wrapped up in like it's not the greatest fight of all time, enjoy Anthony Joshua's career. Let's see if he can make a quality comeback. Uh, see if Franklin can seize the opportunity to to turn around what what he was very disappointed with in the loss to White and maybe get the upset against Joshua. I'm interested in this. I like watching Joshua fight. I always find there to be intrigue and 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 drama around his fights. And Jermaine Franklin, to his credit, made a highly entertaining fight in his most recent outing against White. So. Again, I'm not paying any extra money for it. I'm going to chill out that Saturday, and I'm going to watch that fight. I'm excited for it. Uh, maybe not at the level of, uh, you know, some big mega heavyweight fight, uh, you know, Tyson Fury against um, Usyk or something like that, or Tyson Fury against Deontay Wilder or any of the other big heavyweight fights we've seen. But there's nothing wrong with uh, AJ taking on Jermaine Franklin. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about him switching trainers, a lot of talk about making the comeback and trying to shake off those losses and, 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 and all that leading up to this fight is going to get a lot of attention. And uh, I'm happy to see Anthony Joshua back in the ring. All right. And there, and there should be talk about, I mean, you just switched to Robert Garcia. Now you've switched off to him and uh, to Derek James, and you've just illuminated that move. There are a lot of questions about uncertainty around Anthony Joshua. He's the only yeah. one that can answer that by getting in the ring and taking care of business. He'll try to do it, that. Listen, it reminds me a little Foose. bit, and it's not quite the same situation, but when, when, when Lennox Lewis, this was before he was champion, when he got knocked out by Oliver McCall, well, I guess that when he was, when he lost the title right. uh, for the first time, there were so many questions about Lennox Lewis at that point. He got starched in two rounds, you know, the great Olympic super heavyweight gold medals. We all had such high hopes for how can he rebound? What's going to happen? A lot of stuff going on. I know that goes back a number of years ago, but I remember when that was all yes. happening and it's not quite the same thing, but you got to let the story play out. We're in the middle of the story and we don't know the last chapter just yet. So I'm reading the book is the point. Fair enough. And I know Matchroom and DAZN rolled out the rest of their uh, at least short term in the spring fight cards. Uh, they, they've got the Lee Wood Mauricio Laura fight that'll be next weekend. We'll be previewing that, talking about that. Callum Smith is on that schedule. Jesse Bam Rodriguez is on that schedule. Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano kind of bookends it in May on that schedule. They were rolling all this out. Anything strike you here before we move on, real quick? Well, I mean, they announced eight shows that take you from February 18th, which is, you know, next week through with the May 20th rematch between Katie Taylor and Serrano that was announced in the ring a couple of days before that grand announcement. Um, look, the schedule, I've heard a lot of mixed reactions to it. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, I don't think there's anything to hate on it about. I mean, there there's different levels of fights. There's the really diehard fight fan fights that are should be exciting, like Lee Wood, Mauricio Lara. There's the other that's sort of a placeholder fight that I have zero expectations for, and that's Callum Smith against Paywell Stepien, which is really Callum Smith just staying active because he's sitting there as the mandatory for Arthur Betterbia, which is supposed to be next up for Betterbia, but Callum Smith's not going to just not uh, be active waiting for that championship opportunity. Um, and then you have like Eddie Hearn, similar to like the American version of Showbox, prospect-oriented fight cards, younger guys trying to make their bones. They have a fight uh, – called and it's a nxt gen like the next generation mm -hmm. they've got their prospect oriented show so on that 
on March 18th, they've got one of their young uh, hopefuls, uh, Cyrus Pattinson, fighting Chris Jenkins. Again, if you're a British fan, that's a pretty good matchup. It's very meaningless to the United States audience. But if you want to see the next group of of, uh, of a next potential British up-and-comer, Pattinson's that guy. Of course, Jermaine Tank, uh, Franklin taking on Joshua April 1st is going to be one that gets a huge amount of attention. The only uh, fight that's going to take place in America, which is disappointing to me because it continues the trend that I have written and said about, even though they try to deny it, that the matchroom and DAZN um, attention to the United States market is just not there anymore. They're, you know, they they were going to do like, you know, eight to 12 American shows and that's long gone. I mean, but only one, that's kind of pathetic. Uh, it's going to be in Jesse uh, Bam Rodriguez's hometown of San Antonio. He remember he vacated the title at 115 pounds. He's now going down to 112. This was a fight that was mandated at the convention. This is not a, uh, a surprise. I've reported on the date a while ago, but he's taken on Christian Gonzalez for the vacant WBC flyway title. Uh, it should be a fun fight. And they announced some undercard fights this week besides just the, the full schedule. Uh, they'll have, uh, you know, the full complement of other uh, fights on that show. I mean, you know, it's an okay card, um, but because he's at home, it should make it, uh, I guess, quite a bit of fun. Let's put it like that because of the fact that he'll, I think, will draw a pretty good crowd. He's, you know, one of the best young talents out there. They added the uh, MJ Akhmedaliyev mandatory defense against Marlon Topalis. That's for Akhmedaliyev's unified titles at 122. They added the featherweight up-and-comer undefeated Ray Ford. He's going to take on uh, the former title holder, uh, uh, Jesse Magdaleno, who when they announced the fight, I was sort of, I did a double take because I kept thinking, you know, he's with top rank. That seems weird. So I made a couple of calls. And as it turns out about three or four weeks ago, top rank released Jesse Magdaleno. So he was free to go about his business and he's doing this deal uh, with, uh, with Matchroom for this fight. So they announced some of those undercard fights. And then the next one on the schedule, this again, this is not a bad matchup, but it's not going to appeal to necessarily the, the die, the mainstream. This is for the diehards. This is the mandatory uh, title fight at 130 pounds between Rakamov and the Welsh fighter, Joe Cordina. Now, Joe Cordina had won the title in spectacular fashion over Ogawa from Japan by one punch knockout. He was supposed to make a mandatory against Rakamov, who had stepped aside to allow Ogawa to fight Cordina in the first place. But because he was injured with a bad hand injury and had already had a medical exemption from the IBF, they stripped him of the title. They let Rakamov fight Zelfa Barrett for the vacant title. He won that title. Uh, if my memory is correct, it was on the Zerto Ramirez undercard against Dimitri Bivol in Abu Dhabi. In any event, the promise was when Cordina is ready to go, he'll get the first crack. He's ready to go. So he never lost his title in the ring, but he comes into the fight against Rakamov as the challenger. And they're going to do that fight again in Wales, which is his hometown. And it'll be a raucous atmosphere. And that's an interesting matchup. Cordina looked fantastic against Agawa. Rakamov is a rough, tough dude. He's been in the ring with some good fighters, gave Jojo Diaz a hell of a fight. Uh, that's going to be a, I think that's a real solid fight. And then May 20th, they've got Katie Taylor and Serrano. And they announced a couple of other fights where they have the Mexican card they're doing with uh, uh, Fierro. That's one of, they have a series where they do a handful of fight cards in Mexico. Those cards are, you know, usually kind of fun. And so that's, uh, that's what you're looking at. All right. So good stuff on the schedules. We've given you the fight previews, a little bit oh, of and, nostalgia. And, I mean, yes. but as far as the, let's be, that's all the zone and natural. I, I, we have to talk about this for just a quick minute. All right. They haven't announced a full schedule of the Zone Golden Boy events, but they did announce the one card that we talked about a little bit last week, which would be the return on March 18th of Zerto Ramirez. And I told you that the leading candidate was going to be Gabriel Rosado, the uh, the well-traveled journeyman. Right. And unfortunately, this week they made that fight official. 
Now, Gabe Rosado is a nice guy, and he's been a, a credit to boxing because he gives everything he has in the ring every single time. He's poured pints of blood for our entertainment uh, in the middleweight division, in the super middleweight division. Before that, in the junior middleweight division, he is not a light heavyweight. He's lost several fights in a row and has won something like one out of his last six fights, maybe two out of mm-hmm. his last seven fights, something like that. He's living on the one big, like one shot knockout where he just landed perfect against uh, uh, the bully, uh, Bechtemir. And this fight as a main event, and I, we've been doing this podcast a while now. I don't get too up in arms like I, when I was years ago, when I would see some kind of crazy mismatch and lose my <laughs> shit and go crazy, okay? Is I'm that pretty what you're chill. about to do? Are you warning I'm, me now? Go ahead. I'm warning you. I'm, I'm pretty chill these days. And again, I like Zerto Ramirez. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve, like, let's get back in, in business. He lost a... You know, a lopsided decision of Bivol in that in that fight he wanted for so long as the mandatory uh, against like literally the best light heavyweight out there, uh, him or better be of anyway. And so, no problem to come back against like a, a B level opponent, whatever. But to come back against Gabriel Rosado, again, this is not about Gabriel Rosado the person. This is the matchup, and as a main event, absolutely disgust me, mm. like. If people could watch me, I'd stick my fucking finger down my throat and vomit all over the place. <laughs> Which I can see you right now. <laughs> this is, as I have often referred to in terms of fights, raw sewage. Yeah. Now, I, I will tell you briefly, I had a, an exchange with person from the zone. I'm not going to name the person. And I just, in a, in a very nice way, I was like, how could you guys do this fight? It's just really out of character, frankly, because... I think the zone actually has done a fairly good job with their main events, but this one sticks out like a sore thumb. And the joke was, well, then don't watch it. I said, okay, well, you're refunding my subscription for that month. Because as I have said, they raised the price of my subscription by 50% from a hundred dollars to $150. Now I'm not ranting and raving. I'm trying to be clear about it. I could rant and rave if you want, but the fights didn't get 50% better. And we didn't get 50% more fights. Right. But for them to give me Zerto Ramirez against Gabriel Rosado and pass that off as a main event. And then for Golden Boy, my friends at Golden Boy, nothing, nothing offensive to them, to position that in their press release as a crossroads fight is a fucking joke. How can you have a crossroads fight when you've got the number three or four light heavyweight in the world in Zerto? against a guy who already has 16 losses. There and he's an even a, and he's an even a light heavyweight, to your and point. There's nothing crossroads about that. This is a fucking squash match. Exactly. We know is. what this is. The guy's willing. He's affordable. Zerto Ramirez needs a fight. They made the fight. Because they're having all the angst with trying to get the Garcia fight done. He's available. He's willing for the price. You've called it like you see it. It's garbage. It's an embarrassment. It's it's garbage. An embarrassment. Yes. Zerto should be fighting better competition. We know that, but we know what they're doing. All right. So well said on that remaining moment or two. Uh, the Tyson Douglas anniversary is this weekend, uh, February 11th in Japan, February 10th in the United States, 1990. So we're 33 years on for that upset so much has been said you've written you've said i've said i've i've we've written uh, retro pieces on this 
Uh, what do you want to say? It comes around again, and I'm telling you right now, I'm going to watch at least the clips, if not the full fight again this weekend. I see you nodding at me. The anniversary's, the anniversary's here. Say something else here about this, because I can't get enough of Buster Douglas and the Shocker 33 years ago. Listen, the one thing that I think is often left unsaid or kind of forgotten about that is because the upset was so gargantuan, and I, I know that there's a lot of younger fans that listen to us, they cannot even fathom the magnitude of this upset. This was not just a boxing match that was a big upset. We've seen big upsets all the time. This was front page newscast leadoff. You'd be getting if we to put it in the in the current vernacular, you'd be getting push alerts on your phone like to know tomorrow. This was the biggest upset in boxing history, in my opinion, without question. Mm-hmm. It is arguably the top, at least from in our hemisphere anyway, you know, our American-related boxing. I know the fight took place in Japan, not our hemisphere. But in terms of the attention that's paid here, the biggest upset in sports history. I'm sure there's some soccer upset or whatever, but it's on par with, like, the 1980 United States Olympic hockey team defeating the Russians in the that's right. Olympic semifinals. It's on, you know, the level of uh, Joe Namath uh, predicting the the huge upset in Super Bowl three with the Jets beating the Colts. I mean, there are a handful of those types of upsets. This is at the top of the food chain. But the thing is, besides the magnitude of the upset, what do people forget about, in my mind, it was a great fucking fight. Yes, it was a truly great fight. I mean, there was, first of all, the shock of seeing Buster Douglas still standing on his feet after like the first or second round when it was really, to put it in perspective, the context of this fight was Mike Tyson's going to go to Japan, make a quick four, five, six million dollars, knock out the the heartless Buster, you know, that was his reputation, the heartless Buster Douglas in a couple of rounds and then come back and in the fall going to fight Evander Holyfield in the big fight. Well, obviously that didn't happen because Tyson, Mm -hmm. you know, was partying was not in, in, in shape uh, the best the best that he could be mentally or physically. He was having issues. Uh, you know, he was fly, riding high on the hog and not getting ready for fights the way he should have because all the money and the women and all the stuff that was going on in his life. And uh, Buster Douglas, the complete opposite of the, of the spectrum, ready to go, uh, focused. Mother was ill. Uh, uh, or, or mother had had passed away. His mother I had say. died. The, the mother his of training. his the mother of his child was ill. Correct. And he put it all behind him and like I'm going to go in there and make the moment of my life, and that's what he did. And it was a great fight. And uh, we've you know it's been talked about a thousand times. Sure. I've told the story many times. People can Google the column about why I didn't see the fight live. And uh, I was in college and and had gotten very ill. And when I woke up the next morning and my roommate in college, I thought he was busting my balls said, uh, by the way, Mike Tyson got knocked out last night. And remember, not to date us, there was no internet, so he couldn't just That's look it right. up on my phone. There was no, in, in the dorm rooms and in, in, in where I went to college, like most dorm rooms in any college, there was no cable television, so I couldn't put on ESPN or CNN. So the way you could find out was, you got to go get the fucking newspaper. So right. I literally made my roommate go to the student union and buy the newspaper to prove it to me. Okay, so I pick up this part of the story because I think it's great because I brought it up before, but it's different than just analysis of the fight. So I'm in college at Memphis State, what's now the University of Memphis. I don't have HBO on my cable. And you got to remember and appreciate here, fans of the present day, not only is there not the internet, they weren't even replaying the fight. So if you didn't see the fight and you didn't record the fight on VHS, which is what you did, video cassettes. Back in that day, you weren't going to see the fight. There was no replay until the following week. They showed it again a week later. But that was on HBO. Let me interject, TJ. That was a special thing. 
Sure. HBO showed fights once and that was it. Because of the magnitude of this yes. upset, yes. they did a whole show where they showed the complete replay, but they had a whole studio built right. around it where they had Buster by interview and they they did analysis. Let me just tell you a real quick thing about that. I had read in USA Today that they were going to show the replay and uh, written by my old colleague, the great TV columnist, Rudy Martsky, mm-hmm. who I then later got a chance to work with, who was a great guy in my mind. Anyway, I read that in the newspaper that they were going to show the replay on that Saturday night. Now I was going to college in, in Binghamton, New York at Binghamton university, but I, my, where my mom lived and where I grew up was about three hours away by car. So I was like, fuck it. I packed my car, brought a big sack of laundry to do home and went home for the weekend because we had HBO <laughs> and I went home not to do, I mean, the laundry was like a bonus, right? but I went home because I wanted to, to watch the fight. the fight replay. So okay. I went home and I recorded it on a VHS, the replay and did my laundry. And that's right. so I didn't see the fight till a week later. Even I understand. I read about it. Well, you were like millions of others. All right, but let me back up to my story. So I convince college friend of mine, and I name him all the time. My friend Virgil Sonny Griffith. Sonny was one of my college buddies. Sonny had HBO. I said, record the fight. Why are we recording the Mike Tyson fight? He's going to kill this guy. Record the fight. I don't want to record the fight. I don't care to see it. Record the fight. So sure enough, the upset happens, and he has recorded the fight that we haven't seen. And he was working in local TV at the ABC affiliate, and they're going crazy on the broadcast of the local newscast because the knockout happened during their newscast. And so the sportscaster, even I'm going to do this for Rayfield, the sportscaster doesn't have the Internet. He doesn't have anything other than the wire copy of the AP story, which he holds up on the sportscast and says, folks, Mike Tyson has been knocked out in Tokyo, Japan a few minutes ago by some guy named James Douglas that we're trying to find out more about. We're going to have more details tomorrow, tomorrow, Rayfield, tomorrow (laughs) on Mike Tyson being knocked out. Meanwhile, when the newscast ends, I'm on the phone, no cell phones. I'm on the phone at the at the TV station with my buddy. You got to get the tape from your house and you got to come to my house. And so he gets the tape from his house. We're now watching like an hour, maybe an hour and a half after on the VHS tape. He became immensely popular. And we passed that VHS to like six or seven people, people at the TV station, people we knew so that they could watch it. Because again, they weren't showing it again for a week i to this day i am looking over to my right while i'm talking to rayfield i have in a cabinet a stack of vhs's i have that vhs uh, there because you my go. friend sonny gave me the vhs i don't have a vcr anymore to show it on but i, I have still have a VHS. vcr i have the vhs from that night in february of 1990 so there's my story well, on the magnitude of this and how you couldn't see it. And I will say one thing to you. Well, hold on, just so you know, it was live on HBO. And by That's the way, correct. even though it wasn't considered a big matchup in terms of competition, Tyson at that time, he was drawing tens of millions of viewers to his HBO fights. You know, today, let's put this in perspective. If, you, if you're on Showtime, and it's I'm using Showtime because HBO is out of boxing, and Showtime's in about 25 to 30 million homes. Uh, and again, I know there's digital now, but in terms of their linear television, if they do a half a million viewers for an event, that's like pretty strong these days. HBO for a Tyson fight might do 15 million. That's right. You can't even, it's like not even in the same Because it was the, it was also the biggest reason to have HBO was the championship boxing and Tyson. It was either championship boxing 
or the or the or the debut of big blockbuster big movies, movies right before you can watch streaming and stuff like that. But we should we should say this too that again they would not replay it on another channel. A lot of times you got one chance to watch it, so you were looking to record or whatever. And at that time, Tyson was such a massive favorite. Here's another great subplot that's in this: Donald Trump, the former president, was bankrolling the Tyson fights back in these days with Don King. And Donald Trump actually came to came to King again and said, listen, Tyson fought, uh, what was it, Tony Tubbs, right, uh, in Japan a year earlier. And he said, listen, we got to go back to Japan for the live gate, for the guarantee, for whatever. Show the fight on HBO, but for the live <laughs> gate. And so Donald Trump is sitting ringside next to Don King because he's bankrolling this title fight. And he knew that the Holyfield fight was going to be a mega fight. And now that's all up in smoke. Here's the point, though, with Tyson, the the reason why Tyson wound up in Japan is for that reason. The Japanese fans were so interested in, in, you know, the the human Godzilla, if you will, as they referred to it. And in the United States, even though he was still immensely popular, people got tired of paying big money to watch Tyson knock guys out in one round or two rounds because he was that devastating. No doubt. So that's why he wound up in Japan for those couple of fights with, you know, Mr. Honda, the, the, from Tekken boxing, who's still around doing all the big fights in Japan and plenty of others with Inoue, et cetera. He still runs Japanese boxing more or less from a promotional point of view, but he was the one that, that brought that help bring that fight to Japan. Let me tell you what I'm going to do for you because you know that I take care of you whenever I get a chance to take care of you in more ways than one. This is really cool. If you love the nostalgia, uh, I have a link from the YouTube that somebody put up about three hours of live coverage from that night on ESPN and CNN Sports Tonight. Nick Charles, the late Nick Charles, was in Japan doing all of their stuff live. It was a weekend for CNN. Eric Clemens, if you remember that name from long sure, ago at ESPN, ESPN, he was the live guy in Tokyo. And this stuff is fascinating to watch because they can't show the highlights. They're showing grainy still photos. Imagine this of the knockout. And they're going to Nick Charles on CNN. They're going to Eric Clemens. Eric Clemens is interviewing Buster Douglas. Eric Clemens is interviewing Evander Holyfield, who's now watched a 10 or $15 million payday go up in smoke. I'm going to send you that link while we're just being nostalgic. Listen, there was- you can watch that. It's phenomenal to go back and watch the coverage when almost nobody had, had taken the time to watch the fight live or had a recording of the fight. A couple couldn't things see about it. that, by the way. The, there was a handful of American journalists that went to cover mm-hmm. the fight, uh, uh, you know, newspaper writers and wire service, but not not the typical Tyson press corps. But there are some guys who I know through the years who have told me about their trips. There's a great line from uh, the great Ed Schuyler, who spent many, many, you know, like probably three decades writing boxing and horse racing for the Associated Press, who I was uh, fortunate in the early days of my career to learn a lot from and cover a, lo- a bunch of fights with in the early days. And he would tell and he was a like, uh, if you know, Ed had like the uh, very uh, like Bob Newhart kind of humor not to date myself but real dead real deadpan kind of humor right so he tells the story about how when he arrived in tokyo you know you have to go through customs and at the customs gate you know they tell you or they ask you why are you here what are you doing so why are you here i'm here uh, as a as a journalist to cover the mike tyson fight how long are you here for sir probably about two minutes <laughs> meaning because of the first the round. fight's gonna last two minutes right. so that was ed's joke about that fight so there was not a lot of people there but they that's why king and, and the t- Tyson side were so emboldened after the fight 
because of the quote unquote fake knockout and the fake long count. And see, that's and, another thing. All right. So the, the, well, live oh, by the way, if you're interested in that, watch the HBO a documentary, legendary nights. They go into great detail. On of, that. Co- of course. And, and so, uh, but you're watching this three hours of coverage where somebody recorded all this stuff. And it's amazing because then the story evolved into they've now got a dispute. They're now trying to strip the titles from Douglas because of the long count. That's going on in the middle of the night. I'll send you another link. Um, and, and you'll love this. This is NBC with Bob Costas on Sunday at lunchtime, NBC Sports. And they're about to go to live coverage in 1990 of the nba and uh, something else saturday a sunday afternoon sports in the u.s but costas is covering this story because it's the biggest news in the united states it was it was the biggest news in the world so so he's covering it though as they're trying to strip buster douglas of the titles like the knockout the magnitude of the upset is over at this point He's now covering it. He's telling people about it. He can't show highlights of it. And they put the fight Dr. Ferdy Pacheco on. They put Bob Lee, the late president of the IBF, on, where the IBF says, we're not stripping him. Even they if were the, the ones w- that stood up. They were even the if ones. the WBA and the WBC are going to try to do this, we're not going to strip him of this. It, I'll send you that link, Rayfield. Now, now just let's care. be clear it's for amazing. the folks listening. The, the reason that they were there was that thought about maybe he would be stripped is because King and Tyson's team were trying to make the case that when Tyson dropped Douglas, yes, because the count was long, it should have counted as a Tyson knockout. And as King said, the first knockout totally obliterates the second knockout. But the reality was there was no first knockout. Buster is alert. He's down. He's watching the ref. Yep. If the ref and said he eight, up. he got up. So if the ref had said eight a second earlier or a second later, he would have got up then also. He was not in a position where he was going to not get up. So it was a complete fabrication of the truth and in the immortal words of don king himself it was nothing but a lot of trickeration <laughs> but i'm just telling you you're going to love to relive this i'm going to send I'm you these links. by the way i'd be because... remiss if i didn't say every time that the anniversary of this tyson douglas massive uh, upset fight comes up it always makes me think that on the day of that fight as it turns out a man who was ringside calling that fight for hbo the great uh, larry merchant my dear friend uh, we'll celebrate on the same day, February 11th, his 92nd birthday this year. Happy birthday, Larry that? Merchant. Oh, happy birthday to him. And he. Who I just and, talked to a few days ago, had a nice conversation with him. How about that? He and Jim Lampley and Sugar Ray Leonard forever, forever on that call. Love all the nostalgia. I'm going to send you those links 33 years ago. And you know, Lord. by the way, TJ, that come Saturday uh, when that anniversary is, I'll, of course, be posting pictures from my collection of the three <laughs> different site posters I have from the, from the fight, my program, the oversized fight program, all in Japanese from the fight. Uh, I have gone through great lengths during the recent, you know, I over know, the years. you got all the memorabilia from the Rayfield collection. And one more nugget, because you and I love wrestling. They had already lined up professional wrestling. The WWF then, now the WWE, had lined up for Mike Tyson to come be the special referee for Hulk Hogan against the macho man, Randy Savage, Friday night's main event on NBC Live that was going to have 20, 30 million people watching pro wrestling. It was supposed to be Mike Tyson as the guest referee. And so days after the knockout, it's Buster Douglas in the ring in the striped shirt as the guest referee. And that's on YouTube as well. Buster became such an icon for those days and weeks after that fight. Listen, when I was in, back on that. as I said to you, I was in college and I, I remember getting the issue of uh, 
two weeks in a row, if I'm not mistaken, they put the fight on the Sports Sports yes. Illustrated, which doesn't cover boxing anymore and hadn't for years. But they put Buster, I believe, on the cover two or they put the fight on the cover two weeks in a row. The first was Tyson on the ground looking for his mouthpiece in that very iconic photo where he's basically knocked out. And, and then the following week, they and, hold on. And the famous two letters, K.O., that's all yes. it says on the front of it. It doesn't say anything about Buster Douglas. It doesn't say anything about Mike Tyson. And I thought that was tremendous. It just had two letters, K-O. And I think the week after, they put Buster on the cover with the pose, with the belts, and, they, and yep. the headline, um, I don't remember exactly, but it said, The Real Life Rocky. Yes. So in my dorm room in college, <laughs> we had, I think we, I had gotten the magazine, and my roommate had gotten the magazine, and we had both of them, so we didn't need two. So I think we, that he tore the cover off one of them, and we hung up the big picture of Douglas and the real life Rocky in our dorm room. Mm. That, he became like an overnight, yes, just Rocky. a megastar because a of that. real life Rocky who had stunned Mike Tyson. And we've given you great nostalgia in the final few minutes of the Big Fight Weekend podcast. And I now will send you some links, and you will love me for it. Uh, on that note, we've got Vargas and Foster. We've also got the fight card in England uh, as well with a Zim in the main event. We'll be previewing those on the Bet US Boxing Show Friday, one Eastern time. Other than that, I think we're good. We're ready to get into the weekend. A Fight Freaks Unite recap will come off the weekend. Anything else, Mr. Rayfield, before we're done? I think we're good. I think we're good as well. Thank you for finding us. Follow, subscribe, uh, wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We are good for now. Enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll see you on the BetUS live show. We'll be back with a Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend. We come your way on Fridays heading into the weekend on the Big Fight Weekend Preview. Bye.